It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Makai Becton, ladies and gentlemen, human beings that large should not run as fast as Makai Becton did. And if you like people just abusing other humans, the Makai Becton tape is for you. Denzel Mims with another monster score of 70 yards. Quick pass to Crowder trying to get him out of the space. Slopes a tackle, and there he goes. Crowder, it's a foot race, and Crowder is in there. A 69-yard touchdown. Donald escapes, trying to buy himself some time. Fires, end zone, it's caught. Incredible play by Donald. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. And it's the Q-inator. Oh my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the TOJ Digital Studio, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And it's time to meet the candidates. Brian Dable edition, the offensive coordinator for the Buffalo Bills. Very much in demand. A lot of people have said that he could be the top candidate on the market this offseason. Probably either him or Eric Bieniemy, the offensive coordinator of the Kansas City Chiefs. So to talk about Mr. Dable, bring in good friends whose podcast I appear on every week. And then, of course, one of them, Drew Gear, one of the co-hosts, appeared earlier this season on Play Like a Jet when we got to know the Buffalo Bills. Drew Gear, Chris Kruger, the boys from the Rockpile Report. What's going on? We are having a blast here. Scott, I appreciate you having us on. Yeah, it's playoff time. I'm not sure you know what that feels like. He comes in in with a low blow. I thought the the referee before we started this said, keep the gloves up. Okay, now we we go 13-3. and We're in the playoffs, and now I'm getting cocky. My first observation about Brian Dable, by the way, is very unfootball related. He looks like a cast member of Duck Dynasty, right? He looks like something. I mean... To, to, to properly tell the story, Chris, how many times have I called that guy a walrus or said unflattering things about him? You've called him a fat walrus. I've defamed him. him. I've defamed him so many times on this on our podcast. And yet now in retrospect, I think I have a full understanding of the picture and I'm almost sad to see him go. I think if we were going to tell the story of Brian Dable with the Buffalo Bills, it's best to start at the beginning. 2017, the Buffalo Bills had... Rick Dennison is their offensive coordinator. Now, Rick Dennison had been a veteran. He'd been around the NFL for a number of years. He'd do what? The, he went to the Jets after uh, Buffalo. He did. Rick Dennison floated around the NFL for a long time. So he had built up kind of a cachet of experience. And as a first-time head, head coach, Sean McDermott looked to him and said, okay, I've, I've, you've been recommended to me by other people. I'm going to give Rick Dennison a chance. Rick Dennison, the way I could summarize his entire offensive approach was a game that Chris attended with me. It was the hottest Bills game on record. Denver. Denver in Buffalo in Orchard Park. It was 107 degrees on the field. It was in the high 90s in the seats with no breeze. So as Chris is sitting there because he's an Atlanta native, he's in jeans and a T-shirt, not sweating at all. And I've literally sweat through my jersey, my shirt. I'm just shirtless with a luchador mask on trying not to die. Um, we watched Rick Dennison dial up plays like the piece, his piece, he, he had a terrible game plan that was all built around a tight end that couldn't catch the ball. But his piece de resistance was the moment that he dialed up a play on third and seven, where somehow it's a three wide receiver set and all three wide receivers ended up at the same spot. 
They literally ran into each other. Like it was something out of the three stooges. And that was the moment I knew he wasn't an NFL quality. He wasn't an NFL caliber offensive coordinator. So we fire that guy immediately fire him after the season ends. And they bring in Brian Dable. Now I'm going to read you the headline from arrowheadaddict.com, January 15th, 2018. Brian Dable is somehow able to find meaningful NFL work in 2018. Now, I understand how that would seem heavy-handed by some, but Chiefs fans went through two seasons of Brian Dable as their offensive coordinator, and it didn't go well. Similarly to how Browns fans went through a couple seasons of Brian Dable, and it didn't end well. But I will say this in his defense, looking back on that, and we said it on this our Rock Pile Report podcast in the past. He's the only man in NFL history to ever be Brady Quinned twice with two <laughs> different teams. How does that happen? That guy's like a bad penny for Brian Dable. He just wouldn't go away. Yeah, Dable's never had any talent to work with outside of being in Buffalo. So what happened was he goes into that offseason <laughs> – he gets fired in Kansas City, and everyone says, okay, he's had two stints now as an offensive coordinator. Never mind that he had very dubious talent at quarterback. He's not cut out for the NFL. So he goes to the college ranks, and he starts working for Alabama. I'm an Alabama fan. So I see him take over the reins of our offense, and I see him working with Jalen Hurts as our starting quarterback. But I keep hearing rumblings that there's this kid on the roster, this uh, true freshman, Tua Tungabailoa, who has a lot of arm talent and the team is very high on. But Nick Saban believes in experience and he's going to ride with he's going to ride with Hertz. But so every single week that season, unbeknownst to me until the end of the year, Brian Dable would prepare not one but two offensive game plans. One for his right-handed mobile quarterback, running quarterback, Jalen Hurts, and then another separate playbook and game plan for Tua in case he ever had to come and do a game. And in the national title game the year prior to him being hired by the Buffalo Bills, they're floundering. They're floundering. Jalen Hurts just isn't getting the job done. Nobody knows what to do. Georgia is, their defense is walking all over them. And they turn to Tua at halftime, and Tua turns out one of the greatest championship game performances in a single half that anyone's ever seen. And that caught the attention of NFL scouts. And they Brian Dable's name started getting recirculated into the NFL ranks, saying, listen, here's a guy who's so talented, he could do this at the college level. What can he do with the NFL level? He's working with spread concepts. They saw him working with motion. So they bring him to Buffalo. Except he gets here in Buffalo, Chris, 2018. Yeah, it's uh, Josh Allen's rookie year. Probably the worst team the Buffalo Bills franchise has had in what? I mean, they purposely, they knew they were eating the salary cap bullet. They were trying to make up for all. Brandon Bean was trying to make up for all the mistakes of his predecessor. They had a rookie quarterback, the NFL's cheapest offensive line, or second cheapest, mind you. I mean, the whole offensive line made $12 million, which is $4 million less than Taylor Lewan made by himself, if that tells you the direction of our team that year. Mm. They knew it was going to be bad, and they brought in Brian Dable, and he started working with Josh Allen. You watch Josh Allen flounder his first year, mostly because you had a, an offensive coordinator trying to, fi- trying to work with a roster. I mean, Chris, your famous analogy about the cookies. Why don't you tell him? 
Oh yeah, I have this great analogy of uh, what well, Brian Dable Brian was in twenty eighteen. Brian Dable, you know, is you think of him as like a head chef, and McDermott Bean own the restaurant, and they're like, hey, Brian Dable, we want you to make chocolate chip cookies. We think it would be a great piece to our menu, and he was like, all right, yeah, I can do that. Uh, just give me all the ingredients, and they hand him a bag of chocolate chips. And they're like, all right, make cookies, but <laughs> I I need flour, I need vanilla extract i i need you know all these other things they're like well no, we don't have that <laughs> but, we have chocolate chips though yeah we, we have josh allen this moldable quarterback but talent we don't have we don't have any any talent around josh allen you just gotta you gotta make do so we walk away from that 2018 season not really knowing what brian dable is and then in, and everyone thinks josh allen is a joke and then in 2019, you see the offense start to round into form a little bit. They start to find their stride in the rushing game. Their passing game starts to matriculate a little bit. And they do well enough to qualify for a playoff spot. So you walk away from that. And everyone says, well, uh, Brian Dable, Josh Allen, they're still not good enough. They couldn't win a playoff game. They only scored 19 points. Blah, 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 blah. Fast forward to right now. This just on December 23rd in a friend of the show, Matt Perino. Our rock pile report. Matt Perino is a local writer who writes for Syracuse.com, New York Upstate.com, that whole, you know, they have the NJ.com where you're from. It's all the same network. Mm-hmm. Headline read Bill Stefan Diggs, Cole Beasley don't want Brian Dable to leave for potential head coach job. That's how wildly his reputation swung in three years. <laughs> he went from being a guy that nobody understood myself included, who disparaged the man constantly to being this guy who is an almost, oh my God, we can't lose this person for our football team. That's who Brian Dable is as a play caller. Now, I guess my question is, as a Jets fan, is that what you guys are looking for? Well, let me throw this back at you. Can he do more than just call plays? Have you seen enough? Have you heard enough? Have you heard other people around the team say that Brian Dable could be more than just a play caller, more than just an offensive mind, that he could actually lead a team on his own? And that's, and that's an interesting question because, I mean, we've talked about this a lot just on our own off air, doing different things. You've heard a lot of talk about how the last five years, the NFL has seen a lot of offensive coaches hired based on this idea that Strong offensive minds are in vogue because you assume that that's going to get the most out of any quarterback you put under their tutelage. You're finding out that that may not be the case. I think that in retrospect, when you look back at this most recent wave of hires, you see guys like Sean McVay, uh, Doug Peterson. uh, You look at, uh, what is it, Zach? Zach Zach Taylor. in Cincinnati. Zach Taylor. Zach Taylor. Uh, Matt LaFleur. Guys, guys of this pedigree who were all phenomenal play callers. I mean, Cliff Kingsbury, you want to talk about, and what you found is that these guys who all come from these complicated, tricky spread offenses that are super in vogue, you're finding out that they don't necessarily all have the chops to be good coaches. One of the biggest things is the only ones who have found any real success are the ones who have been married up right out of the gate with a very strong defensive coordinator. Sean McVay, he's one of them. Like, Sean McVay was lucky enough to get... uh, That's why uh, Zach Taylor and Matt LaFleur have jobs. 
Well, yeah, but think about this. McVeigh, <laughs> he got uh, our old coach, Wade Phillips. Yeah. Wade Phillips led him to a Super Bowl on defense using his defense. And when his offense failed, it's what cost him the Super Bowl. <laughs> and then you've seen them get middling results ever since then after they fired, <laughs> after they got rid of Wade, Wade Phillips. And similarly, uh, when you look at Doug Peterson, he won a Super Bowl. Sure. But he had a multi, multi-million dollar payroll on defense. And he had a pretty good uh, defensive coordinator, in Jim Schwartz. Yeah. So with that in mind, you look at guys coming in. You look at the Zach Taylors. He has yet to really make his stamp. Matt LaFleur did great right up until he ran into a team that just railroaded his team. And he doesn't know enough about defense to have any kind of impact. I think when you find these offensive, quote-unquote, gurus, you're hoping that they're able to at least be paired with someone as a strong defensive coordinator candidate. My, If that's your concern about his ability to orchestrate a team, I think he communicates incredibly well. I think you've watched his ability to teach communication. It flows from him to Allen, and then from Allen, as they added more weapons around him, you watched the ability to communicate come from Ken Dorsey, our quarterback's coach, and Brian Dayball to Allen to then the rest of that wide receiver core. His tutelage allowed Allen to find ways to speak the offensive language that his wide receivers could understand more fluently. I think if there's anything he can hang his hat on, it's that. His ability to simplify concepts and to just really have a feel for what his quarterback is going to want and what his quarterback is going to need. Because last year, Chris, perfect example, 2019, you saw a lot of the RPO type stuff with Josh Allen. You saw a lot of him moving the pocket intentionally, trying to get Josh Allen out on the run because he assumed this is where my quarterback is more comfortable. This year, with a full bevy of weapons under his control, he said, no, I, you're going to sit in the pocket. You're not going to run. You're not going to do all the things you were doing before but you're going to communicate to these wide receivers what you want them to do. And here's how you're going to do it. And you saw him with Brian Dable's tutelage become better in that regard. And I think there's a lot of value to that, especially for a team like yours, that's going to be drafting a quarterback here shortly. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. You mentioned Ken Dorsey, the quarterback's coach. Is that somebody that you might suspect Dable would want to bring with him to whatever job he gets if he takes a head coaching job as part of the staff, maybe elevates Dorsey up to offensive coordinator. Anybody on that Bill staff that you think might go along with Dable? And I should also say that, as you said before, getting a good defensive coordinator would be very important. One guy that Dable worked with not once, but twice, a very familiar name to Jets fans, Eric Mangini. If Dable can bring Eric Mangini back home where he belongs, I would probably be all in on the hire. <laughs> I'll say this. Ken Dorsey, and I, I hate to burst your bubble here about him bringing this quarterback coach with you. This past week, when we played the Miami Dolphins, the Buffalo Bills, yeah, we put a shovel to the face of that team in the first half. Josh Allen in one quarter scored 28 points. And we went into halftime and you said, okay, we know they're going to put their starter, their, their backups in. Well, they didn't just roll their backups in out on the field. They also rolled their backups in terms of play calling. They gave the reins to Ken Dorsey to call plays in the second half of that Miami Buffalo game that saw our backups go on to hang another 28 points. 
<laughs> on the number one DU scoring defense in football. That was essentially the trial run. It's it's the same thing you see teams doing when they say, hey, let's let's give next year's guys a shot just to make sure that what we see in them is, you know, that what we see in them is real. Like what Philly did with Nate Sudfeld. <laughs> 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 I'm sure I'm sure if there's any Giants fans out there listening to this they love that. Oh my god. What a when I saw it Chris I I I finally opened a beer. I was so relaxed on Sunday that I only drank a beer or two and when I saw Sudfeld get put into the game I almost threw it at the TV out of frustration. Cuz my question is even though I have no skin in the game, what are you doing? Yeah, I don't think Dorsey would entertain leaving buff like no because you probably a, go to new york to you're going to new york to be the coordinator or stay here in buffalo and be a coordinator of a team that is just hitting their stride for the next 12 seasons with josh allen at the helm so i think that it's going to be hard pressed to poach anybody in that capacity it's possible that he could get the wide receivers coach chad hall to leave but even that would be a stretch unless he could offer him some kind of promotion, which I don't know that he's qualified for. That's one thing that worries me about Brian Dable being a head coach is that no, nowhere that he's gone. When you think about some of the other guys who, because there are offensive minds who have gone on to have success. Andy Reid's one of them. But one of the things that you've seen is that wherever he goes, Andy Reid has had a strong coaching tree. He, he teaches well. Dable teaches well, but also I don't know that he has the same gravitas that a guy like Andy Reid does. So the problem is that if you're giving him as your head coach the reins of the entire organization, I don't know who else he's bringing with him. It's going to be interesting to see who he has connections with still that, to your point, he could maybe tab an Eric Mangini or he could tab – Steve Sarkeesian will only be there. He'll only be at Texas for a year or two. There, there's all of these names he could possibly get, but it would worry me about how he would fill out his cabinet. And I think part of it might fall to the GM to almost sort of start cooking up some marriages. You and I have both seen that in our franchise's time, right? Mm -hmm. Where you hire a head coach and then the organization hires some people for you. I mean, I, I heard rumors that that's why Matt Rule turned down the Jets job last year was because you get, he wasn't allowed to pick his own staff. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. So my fear for Dable is that if he gets into being a head coach, I mean, we've seen it firsthand as Bills fans. We tried everything. First, we tried uh, the former NFL player turned defensive coordinator, in Dick Duron, and that didn't work. In fact, he was the only one in a decade who saw a contract extension, and he got fired in the first year of it. <laughs> we tried to go to the college ranks. And we said, hey, Doug Marone, come up here and coach our team. And he brought with him his offensive coordinator, Nate Hackett, who quarterbacked or at least ran some of the worst offenses the Bills have seen in forever. So he had to cut Nate Hackett, and eventually he got fired. We saw Rex Ryan, the bloviator. We saw the bombastic guy come in who, hey, I've got all the experience. I do this and that and blah, blah, blah. But he even struggled to find quality candidates to join him in terms of defensive coordinator, in terms of position coaches. And also he just wasn't, he himself wasn't a good teacher in terms of technique, in terms of, I don't know. I guess what I'm trying to say is some of this stuff is overblown because when you got Sean McDermott, 
when he got hired, it was to almost no fanfare. Everyone said, oh, wait a minute. That's a that's your hire? This former defensive coordinator? Who, who's he going to get? But what they didn't understand was McDermott was a process builder. He even said it got coined the trust the process, quote unquote. I mean, I'm sure he might have stolen that from the 76ers. But either way, <laughs> it started to resound here in Buffalo. Because what he did was he started to cultivate a culture in this team that we're going to get better every single day. We're going to enjoy. He wanted players who didn't want to be professional football players, but enjoyed playing professional football. That's a quote from Ron Rivera earlier today. He said that's what made his team better this year was getting rid of guys who want to be professional football players, finding guys who love the process of being a player. And when you build a roster around those guys year over year over year, and you instill that kind of culture, you can take a team like Buffalo, who was a middling franchise forever, and now we're the number two seed in the AFC, and you're talking about us being Super Bowl contenders. I don't see Brian Dable having that same effect, just because he's he's done nothing to prove that he has that ability. That coupled with the question marks around his ability to flesh out a cabinet, I don't think he'd be a bad head coach, but I think he would need a lot of help putting together an ensemble cast. Tell me a little bit about his personality. What do you know about that? He seems like a great guy. He seems like a player's guy. He, he strikes me when, when he was back, when he was allowed on the sideline, (laughs) he was a guy who you every between every snap, he was talking to Allen. You saw him go to Allen. You saw him talking to the wide receivers coaches. You saw him talking to the the various players on our team, which makes me think that this is a guy who likes communication, which is never a bad thing. Last year, we lose to the Browns, and Sean McDermott puts his fist down on the table and says, hey, we're going to play a more fearless brand of football because I'm sick and tired of losing sub-20-point games. Then Brian Dable got fired upstairs to the box. Now, Chris, to my knowledge, he hasn't no, offensive coordinated another game from the sidelines. No, then. he's always been in the bot, like, you know, on Sunday, you know, he's just leaning back and forth in the chair. <laughs> Since then, <laughs> he hasn't been back on the sidelines. So it's kind of hard to know what he is as a person, but from what I've seen and what I've heard. Now, I also have a friend. He graduated from St. Francis. He's a St. Franny's guy here locally in Buffalo. My friend Billy Finnerty, owner of uh, Finnerty's Tap Room down in Ellicottville. If anybody's ever down here in ski country, that's where you're looking to hang out because his bar is immaculate. It's the place is a palace. It's great, but he's friends with Dable because they went to school together, and he just talks about how Dable is one of the smartest human beings he's ever met. He goes anything, any problem, anything that's ever come up, any discussion. Dable's always a couple steps ahead of the conversation. I I can see that just in the way he carries himself and the way he communicates with his players. So that's that's what I know about him as a person. And I think he could bring some really good things to a football team. The question is, is that enough? Is it enough? To, I mean, because Cliff Kingsbury, he had a massive pedigree for winning at the collegiate level, or at least having this very nuanced scheme. And it could be explosive at the NFL level if he got the right talent. And the, the Arizona Cardinals were all in on him from day one as soon as they like, hey, that's our coach. And we're going to give our coach our number one overall draft pick, even though we just drafted a quarterback in the top 10. We're going to let him pick another quarterback because we want him to be successful. 
Well, people, I saw the tweet today. What people fail to realize is for as nice as Cliff Kingsbury might be, and for as much as he may know, he's gotten to coach, what was it, uh, Baker Mayfield, Baker Mayfield, Patrick Ky- Mahomes, Patrick Mahomes and Kyler Murray, and he's never had more than eight wins in a single season, both NFL or college. What does that say about him? And that's my fear for Brian Dable, is that if you put him out there as a head coach, and you can't, as a franchise, put strong coordinating presences around him who can help build the culture pieces and who can help kind of backfill where his weaknesses are. I, I, I have a hard time seeing that going well. What about his relationship with the players? I know that you said that there were several of them that came out and said they didn't want Dable to go. How about them and the other members of the coaching staff, even the guys up above? How's he worked with McDermott? How's he worked with the guys underneath him, Ken Dorsey and such? How does he relate to ownership? Because that's all part of being the head coach, and I think that gets lost a lot of times because, as you said, play calling is one thing. All the other things that go into the quote-unquote process building is another. How would you see that playing out based on what I just asked? The, the one example I can, I can point to about him being malleable in terms of, hey, I'm, op- I, I'm, I'm open to working with people. Because, let's face it, we've both seen, for both your franchise and mine, guys who have come in and said, nah, I'm going to do it my way. Nah, and it craters, right? <laughs> we've watched it explode <laughs> and kill everyone involved. <laughs> like, we're, we're talking like Apollo, like Apollo 13, if it didn't have a, if it didn't have a happy ending, that's how a lot of these head coaching hires have gone for both of our franchises. The times when, whenever our head coach has spoken and said things like, I want this, or I want that, or I expect this of my team. That example I gave a few minutes ago, talking about their game against the Browns, where they played a very conservative offensive game plan and they lost the game by a singular field goal. And at the podium, there's Sean McDermott going, my team is going to, from here on out, play a more fearless brand of football because I'm sick of losing this way. And the very next week, they're running spread concepts, and Josh Allen is airing it out all over the Miami Dolphins. He's throwing downfield in a way that he hadn't before. I think that when the coach came to him and said, hey, it's time to take the reins off Allen. You've got to stop babying him and let's see what he has. He was open to that concept. And I'm sure there was more intensive conversations behind closed doors, but it literally took one week and you saw a gross transformation of our offense. It was like a whole different team on the field. He has that ability, but he also has that kind of that ability to work with other people. And I see that as being a positive if he was to land a head coaching job. I want to know a little bit more about the development of Josh Allen because that's one thing that everybody who's been pushing Dable has said is one of the key qualifications, that he took Josh Allen, who many people felt had a very small chance of succeeding based on the shortcomings he had at Wyoming, and helped turn him into one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. How much did he have to do with deciding on Allen as the quarterback that they wanted in the 2018 draft? How much has he had to do with his development? Has it been him purely hands-on? Has it been more of the assistants like Dorsey and guys like that and Dable's just overseeing it? What do you know about the relationship one-on-one between Allen and Dable? Tell me everything you can about all these dynamics. Let me open a fresh beer for this one. 
Nope. Strap in because this is a conversation in and of itself. So the development of Josh Allen, that starts, you got to go back to the, the real development of Josh Allen. Now he was, he, if you believe our GM was always their prize target. They always wanted Josh Allen. Now, I don't know how true that is. I don't know what they would have done if the Jets hadn't traded ahead of them and taken Sam Darnold. There's some people who believe that Darnold was actually the apple of their eye, but it's neither here nor there now. They draft him, and I think that Dable didn't really have a whole lot of say in that process because he was too new to the team. He was newly hired, and I think it was one of these things where they said, look, you're our coordinator. We don't even know what quarterback's going to fall to us, so we just have to figure this process out. We get Josh Allen, and that first year is a very much a feeling-out process, right? Then in his second year, you have in 2019, last year, it was again kind of a feeling-out process because Dable wasn't ready to take the reins off this quarterback and start giving him his full playbook. Dable had, if you watched him at Alabama, a dynamic downfield passing offense, spread concepts, pre-snap motion. He had all these things in his bag of tricks, he didn't give it to him. He babied him, put training wheels on him until our coach said, listen, you got to open this thing up. And if the kid sinks, he sinks, but we can't lose football games by scoring 17 points and trying to play our ass off on defense. It's not going to be the recipe anymore. And you saw Dable start to open more things up for Josh. And as he did, he did, he had success. But if you're talking about Josh's growth, something we talked about actually in this week's rock pile report, <sighs> The moment for him was the loss to the Houston Texans in 2019 because what you saw was a young kid take it very personally that he lost that game for his team. And that's exactly how he framed it. I lost my team this game, and I'll never let this happen again. And everyone said, okay, that's that's player speak, that's coach speak. Sure, you said that because you're on the podium. But then you watched him go into an offseason where he literally just did nothing but eat sleep and breathe football. He was working out on his own. He was working out with your quarterback, Sam Darnold out in California for months. Then he was flying all over the country to do private workouts during quarantine with his teammates because he was like, well, if they're not going to sanction any team things, I'm going to come to my players and we're going to get this going because I'm going to lead this team. He worked with specialists to fix his aside from the team outside of what we did. He went and got his mechanics mapped. Jordan Palmer. Jordan Palmer went, took him to a clinic and got his throwing mechanics mapped. Pat McAfee joked around with him about it on his podcast, but it's hilarious because Josh Allen sat through a clinic of all these core wannabe quarterbacks going, Oh, your, your mechanics are good. You just do this wrong or this wrong or this wrong. And then he went last and his mechanics were the worst of the entire group. And the court, the teacher goes, Hey, how does it feel to know you made the big show and you do everything wrong? Everything you do is terrible. <laughs> you're, you're playing in the NFL. <laughs> so he fixed a lot of that stuff with Jordan Palmer after finding this out and getting some notes. And he did a lot of the work to fix his mechanics on his own. He shows up for training camp and Brian Dable sees this in him. And this is where the light bulb goes on for Brian Dable. And he says, all right, now I can give him the book. You saw... I mean, it didn't hurt that we landed a Stefan Diggs in the preseason, but you saw a Brian Dable offense, Chris, correct me if I'm wrong, that was the most dynamic thing we've seen here in Buffalo since the K-Gun. Yeah, it's 100% because we got a bunch of good receivers and Allen's coming into his own. And I think something for the Jets to look 
forward to, you know, if you're going to hire an offensive coach and then depending on the coordinator that Dable brings, it's always generally the second or third season that everything clicks. I mean, you saw it with Kyle Shanahan and Matt Ryan in Atlanta this year. It's working out for Dable and Josh Allen. The thing was you saw Dable say, okay, fine. You can handle it. Here it is. Now, all of a sudden we've got Isaiah McKenzie leading the NFL in pre-snap motion (laughs) per snap that he plays. You've got guys like John Brown. You've got Gabe Davis running these complicated tandem routes downfield where one's running a deep cross. The other one's going to run a post and they're going to crisscross each other. And you didn't see any of that before he trusted Allen because he saw a different quarterback. Now I, and this is where I don't want people to get confused because if jets fans think Brian Dable is the answer to saving your franchise with a future rookie quarterback, I don't want you to fall in love with that notion. I don't want you to think that he's going to be the reason your quarterback thrives. If your quarterback needs mechanical ironing out, if your quarterback needs to grow, Josh Allen did so much of this on his own and then brought it to the team. And Dable said, Hey, Hey, now that to Chris's analogy earlier, now that you're going to bring me the flour, (laughs) the sugar, the vanilla, you're the chocolate chips. Let's make some effing cookies And they went out there and cooked the NFL alive this season. They went out there and smashed teams that got put in front of them. And I don't think anyone was prepared for it. But a lot of that just is our quarterback, and it's his personal makeup. So what you as a team have to hope, I'll say this, Brian Dable might be the guy who can promote the growth of a quarterback, but the quarterback you draft is going to have to have the drive to improve that Josh Allen does. If he has that, if he's a consummate professional, if he's a guy or he's just a dude who comes in and he's so supremely talented that he just has it coming off. If Justin Fields, if you were to take him and Justin Fields has a chip on his shoulder and already has all the natural accuracy and talent that you need, Brian Dable will squeeze every ounce of productivity out of that 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 anyone possibly could. That's the one thing I will say about him that would make him super attractive as a guy I want in my building. Now, the question is, can he build a culture around that? Because that's been the thing. The New York Jets have been divided as a team for years. You have been. Your defense Mm -hmm. is never on the same page as your offense. Resentment builds. You've got a guy like Greg Williams in the building who just promotes that (laughs) animosity. I mean, I feel like like anybody would be more of a stabilizing force than what you've had. I just think that Dable's a good enough communicator, and if you can give him a good, solid staff, I don't know who he can tab for coordinators, but I know that if you can land a talented quarterback who has a drive and you can take the skill pieces that you have around him and hopefully your GM with all of the assets you have at your disposal can make some moves and get him some real players, I think you're going to see a Jets offense that gets up off the ground and can start carrying your football team. I mean, you've seen offense wins the day. The days of defensive football are over. And so in that way, Brian Dable, if he was hired, I don't think he'd be terrible. There's questions, sure. But I think that he could certainly take you guys from where you are and with the right quarterback could kick you guys up a notch in terms of where you stand in the NFL. 
two of the big keys to what's going to happen with the Jets over the next bunch of years, what they do at quarterback and what they do at head coach. And now we know a lot more about one of the key candidates in this coaching search, Bill's offensive coordinator, Brian Dable, courtesy of the Rock Pile Report, boys. Drew Gear and Chris Kruger. Guys, thanks so much for coming on. It was fun to be the one asking the questions this time. Thanks so much for doing this with me. We're going to have to do it again soon, especially if Dable's the one that actually gets hired. For anybody that doesn't listen to the Rock Pile Report, you really should because even though you may be a Jets fan, you may not like the Bills, you want to know what the other teams in the division are doing. And you can tell, obviously, Drew did all of that off of memory, so he really knows his Bills. Make sure that you're checking out the Rock Pile Report. How can they do that, Drew? We can uh, do it on Twitter. We're at Rock Pile Report. You can download the show. We're a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. We're available on all of your favorite podcatching apps, Apple google stitcher wherever you get your podcasts you can get the rock pile report that was chris not drew which makes me believe that drew probably got up to go to the bathroom am i right (laughs) no i'm right here (laughs) make sure you check out the rock pile report on all the major podcast platforms and of course check them out on twitter at rock pile report if you haven't given us a five-star review on itunes yet if you could go ahead and do that for us really appreciate it easy way to help out the show if you like what we're doing doesn't take you much time doesn't cost you any money but it goes a long way to help us out so if you could go ahead and do that for us we'd be quite grateful and for the latest and greatest in new york jets podcasts you know where to go that's turn on the jets digital and turn on the jets.com.